Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Speaking of responsibility, the Children's Minister deeply regrets his failure to properly communicate with the survivors of the mother and baby homes on new laws which will now see the record sealed for 30 years. Roderick O'Gorman has admitted a controversial bill which, he, by the way, he proposed, which will seal retired uh, records uh, containing information on those who lived in mother and baby homes has caused huge anxiety. Apart from the database, which is being sent to the child and family agency Tusla, uh, the records will be sealed for the next three decades. And Mr O'Gorman said he will now consult with survivor groups and the academic experts after the bill sparked fury amongst opposition TDs, one who we spoke to yesterday from Sinn Féin and former mother and baby home residents before it's passed through the doll uh, last before it was passed through the doll last night. He said I need to do a better job of communicating uh, what the government was doing and engaging with survivor groups. And I know a lot of anxiety has been caused. And I certainly deeply regret the fact that my failures to communicate properly uh, caused that anxiety. This is what he said in RT this morning, by the way. He should have done better in how he communicated what he was trying to say and achieve with this particular piece of legislation. The government had argued that the legislation was needed to protect the information which had been gathered by the Mother and Baby Commission over the last five years. Mr O'Gorman said he will now consult with the Attorney General to see what avenues there are to address the 30-year issue, particularly with regard to personal information. Now, it's a complicated story in respect of the Attorney General believes that people will still be able to access information because GDPR supersedes uh, legislation, whereas other experts and law experts have said that's not the case at all. If these records are locked away, people's information will not be available to them anymore. And that includes people like me, who was born in a mother and baby home back in 1963 in St. Patrick's Home in the Navin Road, and people who we have spoken to on this show over the last five or six years since the Tomb Baby story came out initially, I suppose, We've spoken to a lot of women whose babies were taken from them in Dunboyne and Tume and uh, uh, in um, other St. Patrick's Home on the Navan Road, which was probably the biggest one, and many other mother and baby homes around the country. Uh, they will not be able to get this information anymore. It won't make it easier for people to get information. Well, Anna Corrigan from the Tume Babies Family Group joins me on the line now to maybe explain it a little bit better than the knowledge that I would have in relation to it. Uh, Anna, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Noel. Thanks for having me on. And I'm sure you're um, very angry today, are you? You're a rock. You were there from day one, of course. And you're, I'm sure you're very angry today, Anna. But I've taken a double dose of anti-anxiety and anti-stress pills, so I'm kind of somewhere near normal. Okay. Well, firstly, let's go back to the start. For those who maybe haven't heard you, I, I've spoken to you before on, on numerous occasions, uh, particularly after the tomb story. Um, explain to us you know, where you come into all this or, or how this all started for you. Well, you know, I have a personal association. My two brothers were born in Tume, and the two of them are subject of open police inquiries since 2013 and 2014. And then I linked up with Catherine Corliss, and following that, I brought the story of my mother, my brothers, and Catherine's work to the paper, Alison O'Reilly, and then you followed up on with Philip Baker Hayes. So you were about the only two that gave us breathing space. I remember when Alison broke the story at the time, she found yeah. it very difficult to get that story out there. And we spoke to Alison many times on, on the air, but thankfully the story got out uh, with the help of the media and, and we are where we are today. So Roderick O'Gorman then produces this piece of legislation, uh, which essentially buries the records after the commission has its report, which he will receive next week. Uh, it'll bury the records with Tusla for 30 years. So what does, well, that, what, does that, what, what does that mean for the survivors? Well, let's roll back. For, for starters, right, I mean, Roderick has a poison chalice. I mean, there's four predecessors to him. 
and they've all been instructed to actually keep this under wraps. Do not let this explode. I mean, all you have to do is read Mike Malotti's book about the banished babies going back to 1950. They've been on top of this forever and ever and ever. Do not let this out. Now, on the 15th of September, Roderick snuck in the bill into the doll. Now, this was the day that uh, Dublin was going into a level three lockdown. Uh, our poor Stephen got the man flu. He thought he had the, the virus. And I remember the that, government yeah. were going into lockdown. So that was the start of the bill. That was the first we heard. They always it. say it's a great time to bury bad news, isn't it? You know, when of things are when there's something else happening. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, following that, we wrote to Roderick on the 18th of September, the 28th of September, and the 30th of September, because we were given a copy of the Green Paper, and also the background, where this emerged from the civil service, John Gibbs, or um, Gibbs in the Department of Youth and Children. So we got no, no response from Roderick because we highlighted questions around the Green Paper, asking what were specified databases, what were specified records, what were records in total. Nothing, just thank you very much for your email. Goodbye. So we asked what records would be locked down and we have very grave concerns because not alone is it the, the stories and people's lives uh, that they went into the commission and they retold that will be locked down. There's other material that has been gathered by the commission, lots of material regarding graves, regarding uh, the county councils, regarding the Guardian involvement. You know that in 2012, during the Magdalene Home Inquiry, the nuns in Chum, the Bonsacor nuns, had to surrender their material to the Magdalene Inquiry. Now, on foot of that, uh, Dr. Declan McKeown from the HSC, he's uh, the head of medical intelligence, looked at this material that was submitted by the nuns. He wrote four briefing papers before his final briefing papers and stated that the material was explosive. There was possible illegal and criminal activities in Tume, possible interference with birth and death certificates, women being sent to mental homes for reasons unknown, uh, letters from church officials looking for children to be made available for adoption, explosive material. He recommended on foot of that there should have been an inquiry into the mother and baby homes in 2012. That never happened. The material was locked down in the Tuzla offices in Galway. Uh, then the commission came down and they scanned this material. It took them three months to scan this material. They brought it back to the commission and they digitised it. So now they have copies of all this explosive, non-personal material. Now we asked Roderick, was this going to be locked down? Again, we got no response. Now he did. He has admitted today that he needs to do a better job of communicating. Uh, and late, and, and I, I, late, I know, Robert. I know, and he's deeply regretted the fact that he failed to communicate properly with yourselves and many other groups. He just ignored us. He didn't fail to communicate. Well, he ignored us because we have a legal team. We have two barristers. We have a solicitor. We have ongoing issues regarding the the bill on the graves, which has not been addressed and hasn't been addressed since the fall of the government in February. So leaving that aside, we're now on to the records bill. We represent survivors as well. And we brought up very pertinent questions. And he failed to answer them. I mean, we got a response from the secretary or whoever she was. Thank you very much for your letter.
you know, and I kind of... But where, where, where does this like, leave us now, Anna? So, it, yes, there was the second stage, of course. It was voted through at the second stage. Not, by the way, not by a landslide, by any stretch of the imagination, but it was voted through. It doesn't through. matter. It's, it's voted no. through, and there's going to be no further amendments. What happens now is... It goes to the Oireachtas, uh, to the next stage. Sorry. It, it, it's finished now. It's finished now. That there, There's no further amendments allowed, to the best of my knowledge. I'm not illegal, legal. There's going to be no more amendments allowed. He said that the bill in its format will be presented to the president for signing. Now, the president has the right to refuse... Only if, it, well, only if it's unconstitutional. Yeah, well, under Article 26, again, I'm not legal legal. He can refer to the Supreme Court, but that's following consultation with the Council of State. So, uh, if it's unconstitutional... So, wait, so what you're telling me is, it's too late to do anything about it now. It's done. Unless the president, it's in the president's hands now, and again, following a consultation with the Council of State, if he can find something that, again, is repugnant to the Constitution, he can... Uh, he can refuse to sign it yeah, and refer I mean, it, yes. It's, it's, that, I, by the way, that, I think that has been very rarely ever done in the history of the state. But it has been done. There has been a couple of cases mm. I've been sent on this by somebody who, who knows what's what. Yeah. But you've also got other stuff here. I don't know if people realise we have laws in Ireland, but our laws in Ireland are superseded by European laws. So now we're into areas such as GDPR. I mean, well, but this is this was the claim that you know if you wanted information on yourself, that GDPR would supersede state law, so you could still get of that information. Mind you, yeah, you'd have to go to a lot of expense to go. To, yeah, but you'd have to go to the expense of going to court and everything else. But so that's got, not going to make it easy for people to get any information. Look, nothing is easier for survivors. Like I mean, you go back to the commission. The commission was a fact. Uh, a, a fact collecting exercise because nobody had the facility to actually take individual cases to court because they're prohibitive in the court. What, so what I mean, Anna, can I... You have a situation, yeah. sorry, no, you have a situation where the people who perpetrated these atrocities on people and condoned them and funded them are now judge and jury of themselves. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. That is not justice. What do you I mean, can I ask you just personally? What do you believe the motive behind putting these records uh, out of the reach of the general public for thirty years and sealing these records? What well, do you okay. What do you believe personally the motive is? Well, if you look at our page, we're on we're on Twitter. A month delay, deny till we all go away and die, and that's the strategy. so. Is it? Do you believe it's a financial one to avoid? any redress of any more people that essentially the people that would be entitled to redress, entitled to apologies, entitled to maybe take criminal actions will all be dead by the time these records are released. Well, there's two things. There, there's no entitlement to uh, comp- there's no entitled compensation for survivors. It's never been built into the commission. It could be a recommendation from the judge and it will be decided on by the government in the national interest. That's the first part. To the best of my knowledge, I can stand corrected. Eight years I've been looking at this, and as I say, my knowledge on the ground is only what I've learned along the way. Right, that's the first thing. The second thing, it's going to be explosive. It will blow this whole issue out of the water. This is a part of Irish history that has been locked away, ignored, denied, covered up, you name it, right? It will expose this state from its inception as to what it's done and perpetrated on innocent women and children who are citizens, citizens of this state, and treated in such with such disregard, their children sold, 
drug testing on children, formula testing on I know. On I was children. there. I was there. I know. I know. You can understand. My and father I mean, paid, I mentioned it yesterday, my father paid £300 uh, to St. Patrick's Home in the Navan Road. I have the receipt at home. Uh, essentially, I was purchased because people refer to these places as baby factories at one stage. Also, GlaxoKline, as we know, were testing uh, vaccines exactly. um, uh, in 1963 formula. while I was there. Yeah, baby mm-hmm. formula was tested. These babies, I mean, in, in the 1950s, the German newspaper, Acht or Blast, wrote to the Irish government and said, your children are being trafficked out of Ireland. And they said, oh, no, they're not. And they said, oh, yes, they are. The American government came in and said, there's an awful lot of your children coming into Ireland. In the 1950s, the Irish Times, that was highlighted by staff in Shannon Airport, with the number of children. So you've got the legal, you've got all this illegality. You've got women being sent to mental homes because they open their mouths about issues of rape and abuse. God knows what. You've got these death certificates for children. There may not be 796 children in June, or there may not be the numbers that are purported in any of the other homes because the head of Bernardo's, Fergus Finley, came out and stated from his time in Bernardo's that he can state categorically, he said it to Alison O'Reilly in the mail, that death certs were interfered with. Declan McKeown from the HSE in 2012 said in relation to Chum, there was a possibility that birth and death certificates were interfered with. So this is all, it's the biggest, biggest mire we've ever come across. Okay. And, uh, and, and where, uh, just, fi- just finally, Anna, should I say, in, in relation to where we can go from this, there is no, there's nowhere to go now. This is done. It's a done deal. It's yeah, already it's been passed. No, well, it's debatable because it may have to be taken to the EU. We actually have two barristers and a sister working pro bono because they have good moral compasses. We also have the likes of Maeve O'Rourke and other people out there who have good moral compasses who may have the where. Yeah, I know, I know Maeve is challenging the Attorney General in relation exactly, to the legality of it, exactly. yes. And there's also another very serious... Well, Roderick said he is going to have a conversation with the Attorney General later on today, I believe. Conversation? I mean, yeah. advice... I mean, if you if you look at any kind of legal thing you're investigating, you, you're going to court, I'm going to court. Your solicitor will look at one tranche of material. My solicitor will, I'll cap you, I'll top you. That's the way it works. So the Attorney General is only advice. They're not bound by it. But they're not listening to advice from anyone else. He, and you, if you looked at Roderick, he was a sad and pathetic figure sitting in the doll yesterday. Not one of his colleagues sitting shoulder to shoulder with him. He was left there on his own and magically, magically, they all appeared. Well, I mean, I, 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 as you, well, as you rightly pointed out, he was handed a poison chalice. You catch a poem before that as well. I mean, but do you, do you think, do you think in this particular case, with this particular piece of legislation, that he was maybe a little bit out of his depth? He was, because he got spoken to by Michael McDowell who former Attorney General, who gave him different advice in the Shannon, and M- Michael McDowell was assured that amendments would be considered uh, for the in clause for survivors when it went to the Dáil. So that was a downright lie. It was taken from the Shannon into the Dáil, and it just disappeared. So, well, look, well, look all, I, all, I can, all I can say to you is it's a, a shocking, shocking story. I think Roderick Gorman or Gorman now realises uh, in some sense that it was a mistake that he didn't communicate with people like yourself and other people who are directly affected because Roderick obviously wasn't directly affected by it as a part, as a human being. So he doesn't understand maybe the ramifications for people and, and the insensitivity and the hurt that maybe he, this has, particular bill has caused. 
But I don't know at this point what can be done about it now. He does say that, by the way, that he will consult with the Attorney General to see what avenues uh, there are to be, to address the 30-year issue. But that's a bit late for you guys. And I know you're obviously going to take more legal action in relation to it. But Anna, it's been lovely two talking. Two more points. To, just, I, I, just very just quickly, go ahead. Points. Just very quickly. He did meet with Catherine Carlos and he did say that he would meet the survivors of Chilm in Chilm. No, I mean, he done this while, in the meantime, he's sneaking this. He, he did say he would go, to, he said he would go to Chilm, which he never did, by the way. He never did. And the second thing is, I want to know, where is the sixth interim report? We have the one, two, three, four, five and seven. What is in the sixth report that's so explosive that it's still with the Attorney General that it's never been released? Okay. All right. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Anna Corrigan. I appreciate you coming on the air today. Let me go to Colette as well. Colette, you're on Classic Kids. How are you doing, Colette? Oh, hi, Niall. Um, well, I was adopted in a mother and baby home in Castle Pollard, County Westmead, okay. in 1959. Okay. Now, I was told that my mum, I was, my mum was from a place down in the country. Yeah. Uh, and, um, like, even her siblings didn't even know. You know what I mean? That would be the, that, that have, would be quite common at the time. Yeah, yeah, she was supposed to have gone to an aunt or something, but put it like this: she went, she went in having me, and I was told by the agency, who was Cunoff at the time, that um, uh, what do you call it? My mum was dead with me until I was adopted in October 1959, when I was four months old. Okay, so she stayed there for four months un- until. Yeah, somebody, yeah. Somebody now I up. did meet my mum, but. She was like, how would you say, copus mentis. Okay. It was too, do you know what I mean? It was too late in her life. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, put it like this. Um, you did have you, did you get any emotions. information when you were talking to your mum? Oh, I did. Oh, I got bits and pieces and yeah. things. But at the same time, Niall, it was like pulling teeth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling, by the way. I've been there. I know. By the way, I know exactly what you mean, Colette, because I've been in exactly the same situation as you. Uh, and yeah, then when yeah, I did, but but, I mean, as I say, I'm just, it's just so frustrating because I did go to the commission to give a thing, you know, as well. As part and of the I report, yeah. Them, and like in good faith that you, and now you're told this, it just doesn't make sense. Like, so know? the information that you gave, so the information you gave to the commission now will be buried for 30 years. Like I was, like my friend came with me and it was confidential, like in Baggett Street. And like, we do, I done this in good faith. You know, and thinking like down the line, I'll get to see this and I'll, you know, and now to hear all the, can he, I, I don't know the, the fundamentals of the law, but can he not even abolish that bill? <laughs> no, I, I, I think once it has been passed by the doll, that's oh, it. they can't. Oh, they can't go, know. they can't roll back on it. As you, you heard Anna mention already, the only option now is for the president uh, to refuse to sign it you or send it to the seat. something about the EU. Well, EU law uh, obviously supersedes Irish law in some sense, so maybe a case can be taken to Europe in relation to it. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So, Colette, the purpose of you giving information to the Commission and giving your story to the Commission was that you thought, you know, by doing that and by others doing that, of course, it would highlight what actually happened in history. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because you'd like to know. I mean, I did go and find information, but... Like, they didn't keep, even keep diaries, like, and like, did they not even think that these children were going to grow up mm. and want to see? Yeah. I mean, how intolerant, how, I don't, I, I can't, I can't work it out how they could do something like that. So I, I, I'm assuming, by the way, that your mum, how old was your mum when you were born? 30. Okay, and, but nobody knew she was pregnant. No, no, because that, that, no. you could, you wouldn't, because she was obviously out of wedlock. So in, in those days, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, would, you yeah, wouldn't yeah, say yeah. anything. 
So she would have been farmed off somewhere to have the baby and, and off you went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, when you think back at it, it's very sad, isn't it, that your mother would have went through that? Well, I mean, I would like, as I say, I have no children, or I only have a little board, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I can't work out how, like, it must have been so painful. I can I can say now, the mom, my mum is the adopted mum. Mm-hmm. The other mum gave me life. Yeah, like of course, that yeah. That's the way I can look at it now. But at the same time, why are they hiding these things for people? And like even when you went in to get your your say your birth certificate, you were on a different register. I mean, how bad is that? Well, I got my birth certificate, certificate, my official birth certificate, for the first time when I was fifty-four years of age. Well, fifty-four. It took me fifty-four years to get it. Adopted register, which is totally different for. And did you did you get your original birth certificate? Oh, I I have baptismal and everything. I have. So this is with your with your actual birth mother's name on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But when she she called me Anne. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. And Camello or something. But I mean, I got, I, and I met my father, not my father, my father's family now. Okay. But my father wasn't alive, like, you know? Yeah. But he had married and had siblings. And I'm, I think they just met me as a curiosity. Right. But they didn't want to have anything to do with me. Right, okay. Like that. Okay. I was, I put it like this, I wasn't supposed to even happen. <laughs> no, I know that. Well, you know I know that though. feeling. Been, I know, I know, I've been there. I know the feeling, yeah. I know well, I mean, I, I sent you on things. Remember, I think I met you at one party a good few years ago, mm-hmm. and I told you it was only starting, and I sent you stuff. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. everything like that. Yeah. And, um, I remember. And I always, because I always say that you're fantastic. You do a brilliant job on everything. You're not afraid to you know, say things, which I think is brilliant because we need people like yourself in, ah, in the thank public. You, and thank you, And even on TV. And every, I think I sent you a birthday card. As well. You did send me a birthday card. You think from, <laughs> you, from you and the bird. Yeah. Remember, <laughs> I said Nathan. Nathan, <laughs> Nathan the, the budgie or canary or whatever That's he is. That doesn't say anything. I put the phone. Yeah. Has he, by the way, is he still using bad language? <laughs> is he? Is he still, is he still chatting away every now and again? Oh, he does, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I well, one of these days you need to get him to talk for us on the radio. I've asked you for years to get him to talk on the radio or whistle or do something for us. No, and he won't. No, he won't. He just, just doesn't perform when you want him to. See, like all men, they're all... <laughs> <laughs> See you, Colette. Listen, I wish you luck. All right, thanks very much indeed, Colette. I appreciate you coming on the air. There you go, Colette. Another woman with a story. And many women around this country, as we speak, have a story in relation to mother and baby homes, either being born in one, uh, given up a child in one. And we spoke to many of them going back a few years ago after two, and they cried their eyes out on the radio. Uh, telling us about their stories and what happened when their children were taken off them. Well, many of those women gave information to the Commission, uh, gave their stories to the Commission to make this a better world so we could understand what happened better and deal with the situation. And unfortunately now, those records will now be buried for 30 years until all of those women, probably, a lot of them, will be dead. Uh, They won't be around anymore. I'm not just women, by the way, young boys and men who were born in mother and baby homes, uh, like me, for example. By the way, I didn't give any information to the commission. I wasn't asked to. Uh, I probably would have if I had been asked to. Uh, But in saying that, if I had have given them information, it would have been buried.